It's that time again. You're listening to episode six of Young and Fearless with the founder of Flow State Adventure, Jero Taylor. I'm Ryan Clarkin, co-founder of Yantra, and I'm here to bring you the stories of the most successful young entrepreneurs that will reveal their secrets to crafting a future filled with freedom, success, and happiness. Do you absolutely love coffee? If you do, then you got to check out Natural Grade Nutrition's Infrared Roasted Coffee. This coffee is the smoothest coffee that I've ever had out of any coffees that have ever existed in the entire world. It's really, really amazing. You guys have to give this a shot. It's Infrared Roasted Coffee, and they have an organic non-GMO dark roast and also a non-GMO medium roast as well. You can check this coffee out on yantra.co slash coffee, that's Y-E-N-T-R-E dot co slash coffee, and you might not know what infrared roasted coffee is. So basically, infrared roasted means that it's roasted through the infrared process, which creates a super smooth tasting coffee that's easier on your teeth enamel and easier on digestion as well because it's less acidic. Go check that coffee out right now, and I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Today, we're having the founder of FlowStateAdventure.com, Jero Taylor, on the show. Jero is truly living out his dreams. It wasn't always this way, though. He went from being a corporate headhunter to starting his own business where he takes people on amazing adventures. Um, These adventures include retreats full of surfing, snowboarding, yoga, meditation, and much, much more. He's essentially created a playground for adults. And that playground is Earth, but that's something that we too commonly forget. In this episode, he also shares how he transitioned into making a business out of doing what he loves. And this is going to be one of the most interesting episodes that we have had to date because we talk about things that most people aren't aware of. We talk about different aspects of flow, peak performance, and also psychedelics. Jero has a very interesting perspective on all those things and how they can be used to get glimpses into extremely high realms of consciousness. I'm super excited for this episode. I know you all are going to enjoy and get a ton of value out of it. Let's jump in. Hey, Jiro, thanks for coming on, bro. No problem. So you started Flow State Adventure five months ago. Uh, let's go back five years. Take us on the journey of what your life was like up until that point of creating Flow State Adventure and what your life's like now. Yeah, sure, Ryan. So, so yeah, five years ago, yeah, life was completely different to what it is now. Five years ago, yeah, so I had just arrived in Australia at that stage and I just finished up, yeah, I guess one of the, uh, one of the, toughest stages of my life but also one of the most transformational stages of my life i'd been working in a corporate world in hong kong and before that in london and i was a headhunter in the finance industry so i was like placing traders and you know high rollers high rolling finance guys moving them from one bank to another bank and these were guys who were like earning multi-million dollars a year and i was very much in that world and it was sort of a high-pressure sales position, lots of targets, lots of intensity, and yeah, lots and lots of the trappings and the 
the hedonism that goes with that world. It was sort of like Wolf of Wall Street stuff uh, for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I'm not going to say I didn't have some fun times. <laughs> there were some real fun times. But it was like a stage in my life where I guess I learned a lot about who I was and who I wasn't. And I'd never really set out to be a corporate guy or have a career. It was never even my, a goal of mine to to have much material wealth. So, But yet I found myself in this world where the main focus was accumulating material wealth. And everybody around me was, was super focused on having the $20,000 watch and and having the you know the property portfolio and if somebody in the office bought a yacht then some then the other guy wanted a yacht uh, <laughs> and then when they got the yacht the other guy got a vineyard and then it was just like shit where do you stop where do you where do you stop from here you know it was just yeah. continuous accumulation of the next thing and my background before that was very much I'd done a lot of traveling I'd done a lot of snowboarding a lot of surfing um, and I guess I'd hung out with people who really found their passion in life through the simple things, you know, sliding along waves or sliding down mountains or traveling on a shoestring. And, um, yeah, that was kind of like who I always was. But yet I found myself in this, in this, in, in those, in this world, which is completely opposite to all of that. So basically after, um, after a couple of years, uh, doing this in London and Hong Kong, you know, it was a super successful stage of my life in terms of society's version of success. You know, when you think about, yeah. you know, I earned a shitload of money and my career was on like this upward trajectory. I was like within two years, I was managing teams. I was sent to Hong Kong to open up an office for the for this international business. Yeah, my career, I was like kind of like without meaning to sound like arrogant, I was sort of like a superstar within the company. Yeah, like one of the highest performers in a pretty large company. So things were going like super well from that perspective, but yet inside it didn't feel like things were going well at all. Hmm. And um, I kind of felt very unhealthy, very unbalanced. I was actually like physically unhealthy. I was like putting on quite a lot of weight in that life because it was just so much like, so much like alcohol and, and, and drugs and, and partying and excess and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess I wasn't taking care of my body at that stage. But there was also sort of this mental kind of lacking or, or unbalance. And it was really like stemming from the fact that what I was doing was not in congruence with who I really was or who I really mm-hmm. am. So, yeah, I, I basically pulled the eject cord and I got out of that life and I quit and everyone was like, what the hell are you doing, man? It's like, you got a, you got a sweet gig there. you got a great career. You're earning lots of money. Just keep at it and you're going to become like, you know, you'll make more money. And then you'll get shares in the company and just, just what are you doing, man? Just, just, just uh, st- st- hang in there. And uh, I was like, no way. i got to go. i got to go. So I basically quit and I just basically went traveling around the world for 18 months with my surfboard and my snowboard. And, nice. um, yeah, man, it was just like getting back to my roots of, of who I really am. Yeah. And I lived in, um, I moved to Bali for like, for like five months and I checked myself in to a yoga retreat and I basically began the process of kind of like healing myself. Um, hmm. yeah, fixing myself up. So 
that was obviously an amazing time in my life, and I was reading a lot of books on philosophy, uh, reading a lot about Buddhism and Taoism and doing a lot of meditation practice. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I was just, like, surfing my brains out all day, just being nice. in the ocean. Yeah. So it was, like, just what I needed to wash, you know, to wash off the experiences that, that I had before and get back to um, to what felt a bit more real. So. Mm. So I did that and I traveled around the world a bit more. I went to South America and, and surfed my way through through Peru, went to the Bahamas and ended up doing a snowboard season in Whistler in Canada. And then at the end of these travels, I decided that I wanted to, to, to set up, you know, create, put some roots down because yeah. I'd been kind of pretty nomadic up until that stage. And my brother was living in Australia. So I moved to Sydney and yeah, this has sort of been the start of, this next stage of my journey cool I, I now live I now live like like within a stone's throw of two beaches I can go surfing every single day if I choose to it's beautiful around here there's like I'm surrounded by nature I'm surrounded by awesome people yeah and my life is completely different so up until six months ago I was still sort of in a semi-compromised state of living I was still working in the headhunting industry um, I needed to get a visa. Um, I needed to actually figure out what I wanted to do with my life. So I've actually only recently left that world of of, of finance and headhunting. And about six months ago, I set up Flow State. And basically, the whole time I've been in Australia has been like this powerful transition phase of I've been working in that business, but it's been very much with a with a defined goal to mm. use it as a stepping stone to create the next stage of my life, which would be based on, on my passions and my purpose. So, wow. and it's, yeah, goal has been accomplished, bro. It's like, um, I did what I had to do. I set up my own business here. I created time and freedom for myself so I could actually explore what flow state would be. And the cogs have been turning in my mind of, you know, I started researching and reading about all sorts of stuff from psychology to neuroscience, peak performance. And yeah, like the seeds were being were being laid for for the next stage of my path. And six months ago, I basically decided, right, that is it. I'm ready to launch. There are a few other steps that that, that got me there, and and here I am today. I'm six months into um, this new step in my life, which is as the founder of of Flow State Adventure. I get paid to take people on amazing adventures around the world. I teach people meditation. I talk to people about peak performance and how to unlock the potential that is within them. I've just got back from Japan where we led our first yoga, meditation, snowboarding retreat. And um, yeah, I'm going to the Maldives later this year. And <laughs> just Yeah, life is sweet, man. Wow. Would you say right now you're living the life of your dreams? 100%. Wow. So there's there's a life that most people are living and there's a, a, clearly a life that they could be living. What do you think stops most people from living their, the life of their dreams? I know that you just got up and you decided what, what do you think is stopping most people from making that decision for themselves? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of, a lot of fear out there. And I think that there's a, a lot of, I guess, societal conditioning about, mm where to look for the answers or where to look for freedom. I just know from personal experience, like because I, I was I was in that world temporarily. And I'm talking about, you know, in the 
in in the world of chasing possessions and chasing status and and material accumulation and when i was in that world i was very much looking for validation and and happiness for externally mm. and and that's what i saw all around me it was literally, it was literally like that people were were like constantly thinking about the next the next car they were going to buy or you know the next boat or the next holiday they were going to go on or the next watch and and it was it was sort of like i could see that the longer and the harder people searched through those external routes for for some sort of for some sort of contentment then they were kind of like first of all they were looking in completely the wrong place and secondly it was like they were getting further and further and further away from the truths and the wisdom that was within them so for me it was very much a process of learning to look in a different place for for all, for the meaning in life i guess and yeah i think that the problem out there is that people are kind of looking in the wrong places and it's not you know it's look at us look at our society look at like look at marketing and advertising and mass media and even like our education system and our companies they're all like they're all pushing the same agenda yeah. uh you know to consumption exactly just consume consume you know you got to have this you got to have that you got to work hard you got to you got to stay within this system and eventually you're going to you're going to first of all you're going to make yourself secure and then you're going to make yourself free but you're only going to be free when you're 60 years old and you've done your 40 years in the system um and you're only maybe going to be free because you know we don't know what your health's going to be like and you know maybe the economy will have crashed and your entire pension will have gone by then so it's like Yeah, people are sold into doing this ridiculous gamble, gambling like the best years of their life for like the hope, the the you know, the chance of security in the future. Definitely. So what you saw is at that time yourself and everyone else was just they were chasing one specific point where they would have instant gratification in terms of buying a material item and they weren't necessarily fully fully enriched in the present moment in what they were doing and on the and basically invested in the journey they were just like oh i'm going to get a yacht i'm going to get a car and they were constantly chasing these things down which in the end don't really mean much yeah that's right that's right and you know to some people like I'm I'm not like one of those people that's like anti-corporate world. It's like for some people, yeah. some people are put on this earth to 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 do deals and to be super successful at negotiating and you know some people that it really suits them and and if that's yeah. that if that's part of their authentic identity then you know all power to them. Those are the guys that will be super successful. But what I saw too much of was the people who knew somewhere within them that what they were doing did not align with who they really were. Mm. And for those people I want to help and also for those people what I saw is the problem was that they they were doing it because they couldn't figure out an alternative. Okay. Like they couldn't like they didn't know what that, you know, that they felt like this yearning to do something else but they didn't know what that was. So because they didn't know what that was they'll just they fell back on the option of following everyone else. Mm. And in terms of alternatives, you tell someone that you get paid to take to take people on amazing adventures, <laughs> that's something that you like you can't even like conceive as a corporate uh employee. 
that's that's like what <laughs> what, what what do you do that doesn't make sense you get paid to go on adventures what is this so how did you get the idea to do this to create this business and to take people on amazing adventures well when i left school at the age of 18 i bought a bus ticket i was living in england i bought a bus ticket i packed my bags and um I basically traveled to, to, to France to live in the mountains and teach myself how to snowboard. And I lived there for six months or five months. And it was just like, you know, I was a kid living in a foreign country, living in a ski resort, learning snowboarding, being in the mountains for the first time. And it was just like, you know, life-changing lessons being learned every day about how to, you know, I guess how to survive and how to, how to thrive, how to, how to have an adventure, basically. So that kind of thing has always been within me when, you know, all through university, I, I would make sure that I went on as many adventures as possible. I learned to surf. I had a, I had a cool crew of friends and we'd go on these, these um, surf trips. And then when I, was, uh, when I finished university, I basically spent two years living in Japan. And, you know, that was all my, other, all my friends were kind of like, finishing university, joining mm-hmm. banks or joining accounting firms or, um, <laughs> you know, just doing what everyone else did, doing what their yeah. dads did. Um, and they were, you know, by the time I, by the time I got back from Japan, i had had such rich life experience. I had yeah. learned a new language. I uh, lived in Japan where I was like able to study Buddhism and meditation. I'd been able to practice surfing like loads when I was in Japan I was climbing volcanoes, doing triathlons, just doing awesome stuff the whole time. Whereas my friends were basically on the initial stages of climbing the, the slippery pole. Mm. Um, so I guess like adventures were always have always been in my blood. And when I obviously when I left Hong Kong, the first what, what was the first thing I did to heal myself? I went I went on an adventure around the world. So I guess I've just I just know intuitively that adventure is kind of like the way that that at least I'm supposed to live. I mm-hmm. kind of think it's the way we're all supposed to live. Like if you go super far back to like Paleo Man, um, yeah. you know, life was adventure. He was roaming around. Like there wasn't security. There was no mm-hmm. like there is no security. It's less, it was always an, it's always been an illusion. But yeah. um, when you're adventuring, you're sort of like confronted with that the whole time. And when you remove the illusion of security, you sort of find this this level of freedom. Yeah, so it's liberating, and I've I've tasted that, and I've I've always known that it would be a powerful, powerful thing to offer other people. Wow, so, that's so, yeah, that's that's amazing. So you spent your basically your college time in going on adventures and basically in flow, which your business is based around flow. Um, what what exactly is flow to you? Because this word is really unfamiliar to a lot of people. It's relatively new and emerging. What what's flow to you? Yeah, like flow is such an amazing concept because actually we're all familiar with the word flow, but we might have different different meanings to other people for the word flow. Like like on a very basic level, if, even if nobody's read anything about psychology or neuroscience or philosophy, then they're going to have an, you know, they might talk about the, you know, how the river flows or they might use the word flow to describe, you know, something that they did, which was which was which felt flowy so it's sort of a word which kind of has an inbuilt resonance with people but I'll talk about what flow means to me because 
it's kind of informed by a few different a few different things. So so flow as a surfer and a snowboarder, I've often pondered the question of why it is that I love the stuff that I do so much. And you know, I've surfing is one of the most it's it's the most amazing like pastime. You can't even call it that, but it's mm. it's the most fun yeah. that I've 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 tasted, right? And yeah. I've always and I've always wondered what is it that makes it so amazing it's like yeah you have like you're in nature you're in the ocean pushing your limits you're often with friends so there's all you know you it's a healthy pursuit so there's all these things that come into it but there's this psychological thing that happens when you're surfing and you can go into the ocean in a bad mood you could have lots of things in your head you could feel stressed and anxious and you could you can catch a few waves and you can come out of the ocean completely refreshed like yeah completely refreshed and you can't even remember what you were mad about before you went surfing and I spent a long time pondering this because I'd also been doing a lot of meditation and meditation had taught me basically how to achieve similar effects through training my my awareness so I basically knew that there was this connection between surfing mountain biking snowboarding like all these sort of flowy activities and meditation and it wasn't until I picked up a book by a very famous psychologist called Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi and um, he wrote a book called Flow I think it's called Flow the Psychology of Optimal Experience mm-hmm. and it's sort of like the I guess like the the seminal book when one talks about the psychology of flow Anyway, I read this book from cover to cover and I was just blown away because it was like a light bulb breakthrough moment where all of a sudden I was given this new paradigm to understand the psychology of optimal experience, the psychology of my surfing experience and my snowboarding experiences. And all of a sudden I could understand how some how my surfing had sometimes felt like a transcendent experience where I'd gone beyond my ego, I'd gone beyond the thinking mind and I'd, you know, felt completely in tune with, with everything. So what flow from the psychology perspective is a psychological state of, of optimal performance. So if you speak to a psychologist or a neuroscientist or anyone coming from a more sciencey background, they'll talk about flow in terms of peak performance, creativity, productivity, you learn faster, you have, uh, you increase your emotional intelligence, certain neurochemicals go off in your brain, which increase your pattern recognition, your brain waves slip more into sort of the, the alpha theta state, which is, which is sort of similar to the meditative state. So there's a whole cascade of, of neurological things that happen when you're in this state of flow. So that's, so that's one angle. If you speak to a, uh, a monk or a Taoist priest or even someone who's just read a little bit about Eastern philosophy and you, and you talk about flow, they'll say that flow is the Tao, flow is the way, flow is, mm. the, is moving in harmony with life. Um, it's sort of like a philosophy of, of like non-resistance. So those are kind of like two different viewpoints. One is sort of like uh, an ancient one and one is a very modern one. And so flow for me is both of those things and both of those things channeled into my direct experience of life. 
Wow. Yeah, so for me, it's both a state of high performance and it's a philosophy. It's, it's a way of living, okay? Yeah, I, I never thought about it in terms of it being the way of living or the way, like you said. I read Stephen Kotler's book, and yeah. I, when people would ask me what flow was, I would say, oh, yeah, it's uh, basically a cocktail, like a neurochemical cocktail that's released in your brain, and it puts you into superhuman mode. But when you think of, when you think of it the way that you just described it, that totally shifts your perspective on flow, and that's really interesting. Would you say that having an abundance of flow in your life is the secret to happiness? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, like when, when Chick Sentmihai did his groundbreaking psychology research study in the 1970s, I think it was, basically what he did is he, he got a whole bunch of people across all different demographics, um, you know, rich, poor, black, white, male, female, young, old, all sorts of people, guys who, who are working in banks, but also guys that were plucking chickens on a factory line. Mm-hmm. And he gave them all a pager, which, <laughs> which your young viewers won't have any idea what is. <laughs> a, a pager is what people use before cell phones. And you, you put it on your belt and it, would, and, it, it, and it would buzz when somebody was trying to get hold of you and it would give you the phone number and then, and then you knew that you could phone them back. Like, yeah, that really happened. <laughs> That really happened. So, so anyway, these, these people had pages, and the pager was just like an indication of when they had to check in on themselves, check in on their mental state, uh, check in on the activity that they were doing, basically record what their mood was and what they were doing at the time. So if you imagine that if you were doing this over and over again over a period of a year, and you had thousands of people doing this, all doing different things over a year, then you can imagine like the humongous data set that was collected. Yeah. And basically, Csikszentmihalyi found that one of, the, one, of the, one of the activities that was least conducive to flow was watching TV. Um, it was mm. passive. Yeah, it, didn't require, yeah, it didn't require any engagement of the mind. And, it, and he also found out that this was one of the most activities where people felt most unhappy. Yeah. On the other hand, he found out that it didn't matter what people were doing. It didn't matter whether they were packing boxes on an assembly line or, you know, or whether they were closing deals as a lawyer. He found that when people were like fully immersed and fully engaged in the activity that they were doing, kind of no matter what it was, it was just that level of engagement. He found that they were most productive, but also most happy. So from a psychological point of view, yes, you are you are most happy when you're in flow. Now, in my own life experience, I can attest to the fact that flow experiences make me profoundly happy. It goes beyond happy. It's, it's almost like states of euphoria. Yeah. And you have this state of euphoria that you, you feel directly after the flow experience. And you have this ripple effect afterwards because hmm. you just it, it just felt awesome. You've expanded your limits. You've You've been so immersed in the activity that you've become it and it's almost like you have become superman for for a little bit and it makes you feel awesome for you know for days afterwards and it's sort of like it it keeps the stoke going it 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 fuels the fires of the passion for what you do like for me it's surfing and snowboarding and when you have these flow experiences on a surfboard it's like they're the ones where you come in with a huge smile on your face you can't stop talking to your friends about the surf that you just had Mm-hmm. They're like saying, shut up, man. You've told us already. And I'm just like, <laughs> I can't stop talking about it. I yeah. can't stop talking about that wave I got. And then, 
and then I'll go to sleep, and before I go to sleep, I'll be visualizing the wave, and I'll wake up the next day, yeah. and I'll be thinking about it more, and it's like, yeah, it makes me happy, because it's like, it's it's putting me into a mental state of, of I guess, progression and growth. Mm. Yeah, and it, and it feels awesome. Do you know if there's such thing as a flow rebound, like basically a come down if you experience too much flow? Yeah, that's a interesting question yeah i mean haven't haven't experimented with all sorts of substances in my in my 20s i've never found anything that didn't have some sort of you know it's, it's physics right what goes up goes down yeah um and i didn't realize this until i read stephen kotler's book rise of superman which which everyone should read it's especially if you're interested in adventure sports and uh and like peak performance but basically uh stephen kotler describes the four stages of flow and basically the first stage is struggle this is when you're like you're not you know you're you're not you're not quite good enough the you haven't quite developed the skills or what's required to be in flow so that's the struggle phase and then the second stage is release this is where you sort of walk away and you 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 let yourself reset this might be where you where you like you've been struggling 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 and you say right i'm just yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna not surf for like the, for a week and, and just see what happens, and then you go back to it a week later, and that's fl- and that's when you flow. Like okay. in the background, your mind has been absorbing things, and it all comes together. You've reset the batteries, you've reset the paradigm, and you're ready to flow. So that's the awesome phase, but people often forget the fourth phase, which is which is recovery. You know, after the flow experience, like neurologically speaking, it's super intense. You've got all these chemicals being dumped into your 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 brain and your blood, and um, flow is basically it's a short term thing. You can't live forever in this psychological state of flow. Um, mm-hmm. It's a short term measure, so it's a very peak experience. So, yeah, I wouldn't say that there's like a hangover or a come down. It's it's not as though I've ever felt like the sort of come down that I've had on on on, on substances. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's. I guess there's sort of like a chemical depletion after peak experiences, and there's certainly a tiredness, right? Mm. I guess when you do anything that's that's so intense like that, you know, you're using so much of your brain, and I guess it's like it's physically demanding. So yeah. I can certainly, um, through my life experience, I've certainly felt like like extreme tiredness okay. after flow experiences. Yeah, but it's a pretty mm. quick rebound. Yeah, that's that's interesting. The, talking about you know uh, substances, we we talked about ayahuasca a few days ago, and I, I was talking to my dad. I think this was probably like at least a year ago when I first found out about ayahuasca. I told him, I go, this is so cool. I'm gonna do this at least once in my life. And he goes, Ryan, you can experience that same high from meditating or um, having peak enlightenment experience through meditation. Would you say? that that is necessarily true can you have similar experiences to ayahuasca through maybe an extreme flow state or yoga or meditation yeah uh yeah that's that's i've pondered this question a lot because you know i'm i'm someone that is a strong advocate for meditation and things like yoga as well like like activities that create deeper self-awareness you know I, I think that for me these are these are a crucial part of 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 my path and they've 
very healthy activities, like mentally and physically and spiritually. So, so, so you've got yoga and meditation and, and things like that on one hand, and then on the other hand, you've got people looking for a consciousness expansion or a spiritual experience through through mind-altering substances, right? So, yeah, it's a very valid question that everybody has to ask themselves on a, it, it, this is a very personal question. Like, I'm happy to talk about it, but if anybody's thinking about using psychedelic substances, they really have to do a lot of inner reflection um, mm. about what their intention is and how it fits into their path. Like, that's a super important point. Like, wow. you don't do that, st- you don't do ayahuasca for shits and giggles and for yeah good time on Friday night it's like super powerful and it can be heavy and intense and uncomfortable you know it can range from the ecstatic euphoric bliss to the to like hellish proportions so the 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 first thing I'd say is that people in my opinion should be looking at mushrooms LSD acid even weed and certainly ayahuasca as part of a journey like, what is it that you're trying to get out of this experience? For me, it was about, yeah, having a glimpse into different realms or, or different, different areas of my consciousness. So for me, the, the ayahuasca experience was, I've, done, I've, done, I've had two experiences on ayahuasca um, only in the last year, both in very ceremonial settings. And both, both ceremonies were also included San Pedro, which is, which is a cactus-based psychedelic, which is, which is basically, I think the active ingredient in that is mescaline. It's two, two different substances, but both were ingested in very ceremonial, sort of shamanic settings, which I would advise anyone who's even thinking about this sort of stuff to really do their research into. So just getting back to your original question, there's an awesome quote by Alan Watts, and he's talking about psychedelics. And he says... If you get the message, hang up the phone. <laughs> he literally hung up. <laughs> he literally hung up the phone. Why is he on hold? <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> It's hilarious. <laughs> Was that intentional? <laughs> no. That couldn't have come at a greater time. I know, man. I know. I was like, <laughs> That's Did you literally get the message? <laughs> <laughs> if you yeah. get the message, hang up the phone. Yeah, yeah. So it's, is that basically saying, like, if you have received the insight or if you, like, there's no point in doing it? Correct. Correct. Okay. So, so basically, yeah. If you get the message, hang up the phone. And what Alan Watts mm. is speaking to there is the fact that psychedelics, if used with the right intention and in the right way, can be used as a tool to have a glimpse into what is possible, to have a glimpse into these other states of consciousness. And he's saying that basically, if you get the message. If you understand, if you, if, you, if you experience those glimpses and you're satisfied with that, well, then there's no need to keep on, to keep on talking, right? Okay. So he's basically talking about using substances like ayahuasca 
as a, as a tool that offer a glimpse of what's possible when you are walking on a path, okay? Mm. And Alan Watts is a man that studied, uh, he was basically a Zen Buddhist. He did, you know, he, he, was work, he was walking a spiritual path himself. So for me, these substances are, are no replacement, but to get to the state to, to, to see what to get to the states that I've been in um, to experience the levels of consciousness and to have the perspective and the wisdom that I've received would I believe take me a whole lifetime of dedicated meditation practice so what I've experienced on ayahuasca is sort of like it's a glimpse and it sets me on my path. It rededicates me to my meditation practice. Hmm. It was such a wonderful, life-changing experience to experience living without, without ego. Um, I was living without um, the constraints of the thinking mind. I was basically existing on a realm of consciousness where there was no fear but only love. Hmm. And I believe that this is, this is, this is a, that's an enlightened state. Like that's a... That's where I'm walking towards. That's the purpose of my meditation practice. That's the purpose of my life. Mm. So having temporarily inhabited those states makes me more committed to, to my path, which includes things like meditation, surfing, flow, yoga, being a compassionate human, and all those sorts of things. Does, does that make sense? Oh, that makes sense 100%. When you change directions in your life, do you think that's one of the most strategic times to use a tool like ayahuasca? Unbelievably so, yeah. So oh, the, the, the first time I did ayahuasca, right, was, was basically, so I'll paint the picture. So the flow state dream was there, but it was, it was, it was in my head, okay? So I'd, done, I'd even created a website. I talked to a couple of really good friends for hours and hours and hours. I'd written articles, I'd done research, I'd done a hell of a lot of visualization and dreaming. It was there, but it was inside. And at, but externally, if you were to speak to any of my, my family, I was basically still a financial headhunter. I was still doing the corporate thing. They didn't know anything about flow state. So there was like, you know, there was this, um, this conflict. I was basically still doing uh, what was kind of inauthentic to me, but in secret, I was I was figuring out what my path was and what my next step was going to be in secret. Mm. So, so then I went on this ceremony, and the ayahuasca experience was 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 literally mind blowing. And I was basically the long story short was that I had an experience where I, which which recalibrated my my perception of of fear and i basically saw that you know fear was just the only reason that i was feeling fearful of basically coming out the closet it was sort of like it felt like i was in the closet like mm. i couldn't tell my, my my family and friends of this of this new direction that i wanted my life to head right and I basically saw that it was it was like a the fear was caused by almost like a lack of self-respect or a lack of self-love for myself. Mm-hmm. And the ayahuasca experience allowed me to experience I guess it sounds it sounds real out there but I was experiencing like vibrating at the frequency of pure love. And if you've done mm-hmm. ayahuasca you'll know what I'm talking about. If not <laughs> maybe that sounds crazy batshit. But um, yeah. 
basically having that experience and understanding more about fear and love, it changed everything in terms of my expression of my passion and my purpose. I came back from that retreat on a Monday morning and the first thing I did was I wrote an email to my to my dad explaining that this was going to be my new direction, that I was going to quit the recruitment. I, you know, I talked all about my, my reasons, my rationale. The next thing I did was I, I put it out there on social media. This was, flow state was real. It was happening. I launched the website. I started uh, speaking to everybody who I knew would want to collaborate and be part of this. I just basically, I went from, I basically like busted down the walls. Of, Dove like, in. Imagine like the pent up pressure yeah. um, of like a dam or something like that. And ayahuasca sort of like smashed, smashed the wall. And, and after that, I just, yeah, it just flowed. And this is what I've been, the state that I've been living in ever since then. I've just been like completely flowing with, with the energy of this sort of heartfelt, this heartfelt purpose to, mm. to create and build this business. Wow. Do you think everyone should be open to having at least one psychedelic experience in their lifetime? No. No, I don't think it's for everyone. Like like my best friend my best friend uh Steve is is sort of a good example. Like he you know, I talk to him about this stuff all the time. He experiences flow states more than anyone I know. But he just doesn't feel like like those sort of sorts of substances are part of his path. Like hmm. he, he's 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 very much a purist. He's very much you know if if it's he's he's very wary of putting like something foreign and and powerful from outside himself into his body. And I and I completely vibe with that. Right. That's mm-hmm. that's and he's just doing what feels right to him. And that's that's the that's the most important thing about this. Like. Nobody should do anything because other people are doing it or because mm. they heard some podcast and some dude experienced something cool because they did it or because their best friend is doing it. Everybody should like really sit in silence, close their eyes, reflect and and feel what their heart is telling them. And and I feel I feel that if you're not like there's a calling. Like mm. you you you'll feel called. Like if if it's if you're meant to do it then you'll feel this sense of calling. Like signs will come up. Like you'll have a, you'll receive this this blog post in your inbox about ayahuasca, and then the next day you'll go for a coffee and you'll bump into a friend and he'll start talking about ayahuasca. Like there'll be like this sequence of events that just happens. Like yeah, it does synchronicities. not. Yeah, exactly synchronicities. Like my belief is that you don't just wake up one day and say, I wanna, I wanna do more awesome shit in my life, and then Google awesome shit how can i do it <laughs> and then you stumble across a link that says ayahuasca and then you yeah. book yourself into an ayahuasca retreat like that i don't think happens and it certainly shouldn't happen yeah <laughs> that'd be a, when in doubt google <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> that'd be but absolutely I'm sure, crazy but, but i'm sure that kind of just like a little side note like as as it becomes more mainstream there is a risk of of, of that kind of happening and yeah, I just think everybody should should understand that um, it's it's not for them. And also, like timing, it might not be it might not be right for you now, but in two years' time, in five years' time, in ten years' time, you might be called to it. 
Like mm. I've got a I've got a friend and she's 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 an amazing conscious woman who's who's actually like she works as a coach as well and also like a spiritual guide and she had a terrible experience when she was 18 years old and she was in South America she was she followed friends to do this shamanic ceremony she had no idea what she was getting herself into and she ingested ayahuasca and she had a nightmare experience and it shook her up and for years and years and years and years and years and now she's 30 so she waited 12 years and in those 12 years she didn't once feel called to go back there Mm -hmm. and then just a few months ago she began receiving sort of messages from the universe or messages from whatever like from the from like what what shamans would say is she received messages from the plants from the from the medicine and um she started like having these thoughts about going back there to ayahuasca and she started having dreams about it and then she bumped into me randomly completely randomly and then i i had just come back from from my ayahuasca experience and she looked at me and she was just like she was like ah jiro <laughs> you, you've been sent <laughs> you've been sent by the plants to talk to me <laughs> and i was That's like funny. i was like have i <laughs> And she was like, yes, yes, yes. So, and so, you know, so she felt like that was her calling. Wow. And um, so then she booked herself in to, to go back and continue, you know, the, the healing work that she needed to do. So that's my view. It's like you don't, you can't, it's the decision is not yours. And yeah. That kind of sounds crazy. The, the decision is is made for you. And yeah, I mean, we could, yeah, that's, that, that's a that's an alternative way of looking at, at the world, I guess. Yeah, that's a very alternative way. That's interesting, man. Let's talk a bit about flow state adventure. So I, I know you, you just recently, what, a few months ago, you got back from Japan? Yeah, so we were in the far north of Japan, and we were leading our first flow state adventure retreat. And this was always a dream of mine. And, and Troy, who's, who's, a, who's a business partner, so Troy is like a super amazing yoga teacher and, and, and movement movement specialist he basically is a really good buddy of mine and and together we envisaged this snowboarding retreat because for Troy yoga the only reason he ever got into yoga when he was when he was a younger guy was was because of his snowboarding he wanted he wanted a way to recover and and prepare his body but he quickly found out that yoga was way more than that physical side okay so one of our earliest goals was to create a an adventure experience which blended like the elements of an awesome snowboarding adventure but there was also the physical and mental elements of weaving in a yoga practice every day and also the elements of meditation and and talking to people about flow at the end of the day you got (laughs) i've been on snowboard holidays which are also fun where you go and you snowboard all day and then you come off the hill at four o'clock and you hit the bar and you start drinking beers mm-hmm. and then by 10 you're, you're like shit-faced and drunk and then you go home and you sleep and then you wake up the next morning in a blur and you snowboard and you repeat that for like seven days mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that that ain't fun. It's got its place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we wanted to test the idea of a snowboarding trip which was based on peak performance and deep absorption. So really, we blended in 
a lot of psychology content, a lot of neuroscience content, a lot of mindful living and breath work. So there was a lot of sort of a lot of time where we were just hanging out in this luxury lodge in this awesome Japanese ski resort called Niseko and the snow was just pounding down outside and we were sat inside learning about neuroplasticity hmm. or le- learning about how to breathe properly or learning about meditation and the the awesome thing about this this type of learning was that it had such a practical application because we would either finish the session and go snowboarding at nighttime because they've got night they got floodlights on the hill in, in Japan and you can snowboard at nighttime or we'd wake up the next morning practice yoga get our body limber practice meditation get our mind focused and then go straight onto the hill and and wow. and basically get into flow and yeah. put into practice all this awesome theory stuff that we've been learning so it was it was amazing cool so we we talked. You said the word neuroplasticity. Some of the listeners might not know what that is. Neuroplasticity is basically your brain's process of forming new connections to make certain behaviors easier. So it's habit forming. If you're learning to play guitar, the way that you get good is by neuroplasticity. Your your brain molds itself to basically create easier and better flowing connections between neurons. Yeah. So. Do you think that neuroplasticity can be enhanced through yoga and meditation? Because I can only imagine what these snowboarding sessions were like after meditating and and engaging in a yoga session because like you must have felt superhuman and super in control and focused when you were snowboarding, especially compared to those weeks where you're you snowboarding and then drinking right after and then waking up and snowboarding in a fog. For sure, man, for sure. Like, I mean, the, the key for when, when I'm talking about when I'm talking about breath and I'm talking about awareness and we're talking about snowboarding and we're talking about flow states, like the common denominator in all of this is present moment awareness. Mm. You cannot be in a state of flow unless you are present. What I mean by that is if you're thinking about what has been in the past or if you're anticipating what might be in the future, basically if you're worrying, if you're ruminating – then that is not being present and you are not going to be able to flow. So basically through what we are learning through through the meditation practice, through the breathwork practice, one of the things we were learning was 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 how to be present and the power of being present. So when we would go onto the hill, we would have this uh, experience to draw on and we'd have tools like our breath, which could bring us into the present moment. Okay, so for example... There were times where we were snowboarding off like off off like uh, lips, like we were doing like drops, like where you couldn't see the landing, for example. And you know your butterflies uh, start going, you start getting you start getting worried, you start you, your mind starts leaping to conclusions, like mm. oh, what if I fall? What if yeah. there's a rock down there? What if I hurt myself? Like you start getting afraid, and that is like thinking about the future, which is sometimes a useful tool, but. Being present and finding your flow in a situation like that is, is you know, it's super helpful to, to have a tool like the breath to really bring you back to the present moment. And yeah, we would use, we would use our breath. We'd really start becoming conscious of our breath, focused on our breath, start doing some breath patterns, some deep breath patterns to calm our nervous system down and to bring ourselves into the present moment. The power of visualization is something we, we, we worked on. And you can't, you, can't, you can't visualize unless you're present. Like mm-hmm. 
you can't visualize and be worrying about the future at the same time. You're doing one or the other. So gaining presence was a powerful way to do that. Your, your original question was about yeah, neuroplasticity. Does it enhance your ability to, to snowboard? Um, yeah, for sure. I see neuroplasticity, like the way you defined it before, was spot on. What I'd add to that is that neuroplasticity is sort of like the acceptance that, or the, or the view that, or the science that confirms that our brains are moldable. Mm. Um, new neural connections can be formed all throughout our life. Mm-hmm. In fact, all of our character traits, all of our behavior, all of our, all of our quirks, all of the good things and the bad things about ourselves are all a function of neural pathways that have been created by our past behavior, thoughts, words, and actions. Wow. Okay. So if you think, it, think about it like that, right, and we understand that the brain is moldable until the day we die, we can then, it's kind of super empowering because we can say, okay, so what are my desired traits? What is my desired behavior? What is my desired thought patterns? And I'm sure for everybody out there, especially the people listening to this podcast, it's all around being awesome and mm. <laughs> you know, living an living empowered life and um, yeah, facing fears and things like that. So these are, these are certainly my desired traits, right? Mm-hmm. So neuroplasticity, therefore, becomes a tool where I can learn how to develop the skills that will allow that sort of behavior. So take, for example, one of the most like there's been a lot of studies into the brain, the brain of meditation practitioners lately. And this is the awesome thing about living now, where we're living in this time where science and, and I guess more esoteric stuff like meditation is, is coming together. 20 years ago, we might look at a monk meditating and we'd have to kind of take his word for it that he was happy and compassionate. You know, mm. Now, you can take that same guy and rig him up to all sorts of neuro, uh, neurofeedback devices. And you can basically ask this guy to get into a meditative state and you can look at the parts of his brain that are active um, and the parts of his brain that are inactive. You can also see the parts of the brain that are growing and parts of the brain that are shrinking. Mm-hmm. And there's been a recent Harvard study which showed that eight weeks of meditation, eight weeks of mindfulness meditation is all you need to experience a shrinking of the amygdala, which is a part of the brain, which is sort of like the stress detector. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a part of the brain that is, is like alerts you. In like super paranoid, high stress people, the, the amygdala is like like overdeveloped or overly sensitive. Hmm. For, the, for those friends that you have or those people that you know who act, who, who, who when there is a crisis, they act with more more calmness and more sort of intellectual reasoning those are people who through conscious or subconscious training have probably changed and decreased the size of their amygdala wow okay there's another part of the brain called the insula and these are all sort of centered in the in the, in the same part of the the, the 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 limbic system of the brain but the the insula is like what defines or, or what creates our, our empathy response. So in, uh, in after eight weeks, they found out that the insula can grow, can thicken. Hmm. So you become a more empathetic human being, right? Yeah. So 
this is why like meditation for you know has been associated with compassion and you know and and being a more loving human being now the scientists can say look the part of the brain that controls those sorts of things is getting bigger so i look at neuroplasticity in like the same way as you might look at training at the gym right mm -hmm. you, you're physically you're physically working on making parts of your brain thicker more robust you're also increasing the connections between one part of the brain and another part of the brain mm -hmm. so when you translate that to snowboarding or to surfing or to anything in life basically it's you can clearly see how your response to fear could completely could completely change you can start instead of like like what happens with most people when they when they when they have the fear response is that actually they their intellectual capacities kind of shut down have you ever felt that yeah like you're scared you maybe you're rock climbing you're on the top of a wall like and you you, you suddenly feel that fear response you feel the adrenaline kick in well you can, you can even you can even notice that in if you're arguing with someone they have an emotional response their rationality is just totally diminished yeah man that's such a awesome point yeah like if you go into that sort of like red mist in an argument with someone all of a sudden, this is why you just start shouting the same shit over and over and over again. <laughs> like, no, I'm right. I'm yeah. right. It's like, but literally, that is because you are not using your prefrontal cortex. You're, you're not tapping into your executive functions of your brain. Mm -hmm. And somebody that has developed through meditation and other neuroplasticity exercises, somebody who has thickened their insula, has has also increased the insula sort of when it thickens it becomes it physically has more connection points with the prefrontal cortex wow so yeah so what that means is that yeah you can have a stress response your insula is is triggered except your stress response is now moderated or modulated and influenced by your executive brain like your your abilities to be rational, be reasonable, be analytical, all of those things. So all of a sudden, you're not just arguing like a retard. You're like <laughs> the same, same stuff over and over again. You're like you're, you're reasoning like an intelligent human being. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and that like that has got to be like one of the most powerful human abilities. When you t mm -hmm. let's talk when you talk about high performance, right? Mm -hmm. high, high performance is not like when let's talk about pushing our limits and a comfort zone like sure. moving outside of the comfort zone like by definition it requires stress mm -hmm. right you have to you have to push yourself you have to stress yourself just like a muscle like for a muscle to grow you have to you have to overwork it you have to break it down definitely and like for this for moving out the comfort zone in in life whether it's in business or in sports or if it's like trying to like even like like talk to girls or, or talk to members of the opposite sex, like you've got a comfort zone. The moment you push out of that comfort zone, you're like, it requires struggle. It requires stress. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we accept that stress is involved in that process. Now, if we train ourselves, that stress can be infused with intelligence so therefore we can feel the butterflies we can feel mm -hmm. the, the the nervousness like we can feel the cortisol and the adrenaline go through our system 
But instead of shutting down and saying the awkward thing to the girl at the bar that you're trying to talk to, mm-hmm. uh, you can like go in there all guns firing and have like an intelligent discussion. Yeah. It's, it's perspective. Easy. Like I, we talked about this in the last episode with Emily in terms of public speaking most people are so afraid to speak in public, but when you think about it, there really is no consequence. So when you come from an intellectual perspective and you look a big picture, you think big picture, then you can totally shift your mindset and perform at a much higher level. Yeah, that's right, man. That's right. It's absolutely all about perspective. Have you done much public speaking? Uh, I just spoke for a high school class a few days ago because I felt like I wanted to. <laughs> I, I just felt like I needed to do it, so I did. And I'm getting, I'm joining a Toastmasters, so I'm definitely going to be getting into public speaking a lot more. I did take some public speaking classes in high school, and I absolutely love it. So definitely want to yeah, do that's more. That's cool, regularly. man. Like, yeah, I'm in, a, I'm in the same place. Like, public speaking in front of a large audience um, is is something that definitely pushes me outside of my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. I really. I really feel like my hands go sweaty and I can feel like my voice kind of like, I, I find my voice kind of changes. It's, yeah, it starts you, like quivering. Shaking yeah. and you get quiet. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it yeah. goes back to like tribal uh, communities where you're afraid that you're going to be abandoned from the tribe if you say something wrong or you don't perform at the level that in which you should. Yeah, maybe. But yeah, it's it's like, it's a full on perspective thing. Mm-hmm. I got a, I, I was reading something about public speaking and, and the guys, the guys like number one tip was just picture your audience are completely naked. Yeah, I've heard <laughs> that before too. <laughs> yeah. And I thought, I thought that was awesome because in a, in a, in my previous life when I was doing the corporate thing, um, mm-hmm. I was like 24 years old. I was like really thrown into the deep end and I was like 24 years old and I'd be going for meetings with like really high-powered bankers, you know, guys that ran multi-billion-dollar businesses, had 200 people working for them, and were just like very, very, very snappy, sharp. Mm-hmm. They didn't take any crap, and they would like put you on the spot and just drill you for information because yeah. you know that's kind of the job of a headhunter. You've got to provide quality information about the market, and. Um, I remember feeling so nervous in the early days about going to these meetings because, you know, at the end of the day, as a 24-year-old, I didn't actually have much knowledge. I was like flying by the seat of my pants. Mm-hmm. I was just regurgitating the same stuff that I just heard in the previous meeting to try and sound like I knew what I was talking about. That was the reality. Yeah. <laughs> so so what, I would, what I would do was I would, um, I would yeah, I would, I would imagine, <laughs> I'd just kind of like imagine these guys um, <laughs> just on the... Like not necessarily naked, but I just imagine these guys like doing like really dorky stuff, or yeah. like just doing really human stuff, like playing with their kids on the weekend, or mm-hmm. like or like um, just basically doing embarrassing things. Yeah, I just kind of like try and humanize these, these people a bit more. Yeah, and just <laughs> and just and just shift my perspective. That hang on a second, these are just guys. They're probably doing their own bullshitting, just like I'm doing mm-hmm. my own bullshitting. They're probably like. Face, facing their own fears just like I'm facing my own fears definitely and just shifting that perspective was like a like a really powerful tool for me back mm. then yeah what, what I do is that most people are in fear of judgment when they're speaking in front of tons of people I kind of reverse it and I think about myself I'm like okay I'm a leader I'm the alpha male in this classroom I think of every reason why I should feel amazing about myself and I naturally carry myself with a lot of confidence so 
uh, going up there isn't that big of an issue, but a lot of that stems from my mindset. I haven't always been 100% confident that's cultivated. So I literally, I'm like, okay, I'm the shit. I'm the best speaker here. Even though I might not be the best speaker here, in my mind, I'm telling myself this so that I can perform at a much higher level. And it's just about convincing yourself too. There's tons of different tools uh, that you can use to to basically perform at high levels. And it's pretty cool how just a simple change in perspective can make such a big difference. And let's let's talk a little bit more about Flow State Adventure because I'm really, really interested in what projects are coming up and basically what's the next adventure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So like just I guess if we get to the crux of what, what the whole point of Flow State Adventure is, like what's what's my purpose in creating this business? Really it's about guiding people to find the own, their, their own answers from within. So what I found through my life experience is that activities like surfing, snowboarding, mountain biking, uh, free diving, any of these pursuits really that require a, a, a deep level of absorption, what I found is that through doing these activities, just like through my meditation practice, just like spending time in nature, just like spending time in solitude, these have been powerful ways to, I guess, awaken or tap into my intuition. Hmm. And I believe that intuition is, it's almost like a completely separate system of intelligence. Like a lot of our culture, a lot of our society is built around the kind of thinking, analytical kind of intelligence, like weighing one thing up against another, really like thinking about things with the mind, right? Definitely. And, you know, that's that's great. Like the thinking mind is obviously a super powerful tool, but it's not necessarily the tool that we would choose to use in, in every situation, but yet we do, mm-hmm. you know? It's, I sort of see it like like if you wanted to change a tire, then like you use, a, you use like a spanner or a monkey wrench, right? Mm-hmm. If you wanted to paint a picture, you use a, a paintbrush. Like if you try to use the opposite tool for the opposite task, then... It's just not going to, it's not going to work. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we try and think our way through everything in life, but actually when it comes to, when when it comes to like so many things in life, it's just, you know, the thinking mind is useless. Mm -hmm. Like appreciating a sunset, for example, you can't think your way to (laughs) appreciating that sunset, you know? Yeah. most often you're completely silent and there's a sense within you that this is a beautiful experience. Um, like love, like when you, when you feel love for, for somebody, you don't, it's not an analytical thought driven process. It's a sense that you feel like in your body, Definitely. like you actually, you actually actually feel your heart. And when you feel like excitement, when you feel joy, when you feel all of these emotions, like all emotions, they're not thought processes their mm-hmm. their body senses mm-hmm. like they're they're intuitive things so so i see i see flow as as a language that people can use to reacquaint themselves with this this software which is already within them and this software i'm talking about is is this intuitive intelligence um a friend of mine calls it our body intelligence mm. so for for my purpose with flow state is basically to use sports like like free diving surfing snowboarding but also use modalities like yoga qigong tai chi natural movement as ways where people can 
reacquaint themselves with their body intelligence. Cool. Because when they do that, like, what's the point, right? What's the point of having having intuition? Yeah. What's the point of reacquainting yourself with your body intelligence or your subconscious? Well, I believe that that is the path to reclaiming or reconnecting with your full human potential. Mm-hmm. So we are we are wild beings we're wild animals right mm-hmm. like we, we we sometimes we, we actually our culture has turned the word wild into a negative but actually like it, I, I view it as like a positive right it's like we're we, we're, we, we're not animals monkeys are animals we're not animals <laughs> exactly we're separate like, like the what the wild is just is beyond it's somewhere out there beyond the city limits yeah. where the wild things roam and it's you know it's scary and it's and it's wild and we're civilized yeah monkeys are looking at us and they're like oh those animals live in boxes yeah it's like (laughs) no we're civilized we live in cubicles and we get inside our little cubicles to go to another cubicle and we pump fake air into this cubicle and then we watch like a box yeah (laughs) down on chairs and and we forget how to move like like we're actually wild Mm -hmm. and and i stand like obviously our culture, our civilization is like dewilding us or like or like deanimalizing us. Yeah. And and uh, part of that deanimalization, if that's even a word, if it isn't a word, <laughs> it's, an, it's a it. word now. It's a word. So part of this deanimalization is is this obsession with thinking the whole time. Yeah. People almost think these days that they are their thoughts. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, if, if I stop thinking, then I'm nothing. It's like, and this is. This is like this is like the thing. It's like when you learn to use your thinking mind as as a tool, and when you learn to tap into your intuitive sense, then all of a sudden you have access to your full human powers. Mm-hmm. You can start using your sixth sense. Like your sixth sense suddenly becomes just like your sight. Yeah. Like there's tribes out there, there's peoples out there who are like who who have this power. They they are like wild animals in that if there was a tsunami coming, they would have this sense to head for higher ground. Mm-hmm. They, they have this synchronistic ability to, it's almost like a telepathy. Yeah. And I believe that this is our human birthright. This is our evolutionary birthright, except that our culture is, and our society has messed stuff up. And mm-hmm. we now think in such mechanistic, Newtonian kind of ways that we're almost like machine-like. Yeah. So... <laughs> that's a long story that's a long story to get to my to get to my point of what the what my actual goal is with flow state it's to tap people into their full human potential hmm. um so how am i going to do that well we've got these retreats which we're going to run four times a year the next one coming up is a is a trip to the maldives which is basically in the indian ocean it's a chain of islands they have some of the most spectacular diving conditions wow. and they also have some of the most spectacular surfing conditions in the world what's the date of that and that's in september 13th to 20th hmm. and we basically we've charted out this amazing this amazing boat which is you know this is another story but this boat has been hand built by this amazing french man called david and the reason why I chose this boat was because because of this story. But basically, David left France for the Maldives at the age of 19 with a dream to eventually have his own boat. Hmm. He saved up enough money to start building his boat, and he started building it in like in the, the early 2000s. He got halfway through building this boat, 
like through blood, sweat and tears. And then that tsunami happened. You remember the yeah. big horrific tsunami? And it completely wiped out his boat. It, it smashed it. It dismantled it. All the timber, all, the, all the, uh, the frame, everything was just like in the bottom of the ocean. So most people would give up at that stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he saw it as like the ultimate challenge. So one by one, he, and he was a diver, free diver. Cool. Um, so he had amazing physical fitness. So one by one, he swam down and he grabbed each piece of timber. What? And each piece of timber. Yeah, each piece of timber. We're talking about a boat. Like these are like huge pieces of of uh, of wood, and you and he's got a YouTube clip where you can actually see him picking this stuff up, wow. and it's and it's like like the boat's called um, it's called Ocean Dancer. So um, if you just like put it into YouTube, you'll find these clips. But basically, he hand built this boat once again by reclaiming all this timber from the bottom of the ocean by himself by hand without using any machines wow and it took him years and years and years and now now him and his wife and his four-year-old daughter live on this boat and it's the most beautiful boat it's just it's just you can just tell it's been built with heart and with soul wow it's incredible um, and he's living his dream and he runs surfing tours half the year and scuba diving tours the other half of the year his quote well, one of the quotes that i love that he said he said he built the boat but in many ways, the boat built him. Wow. That's powerful. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so anyway, so we've hired out this boat with these amazing people. And I've assembled like a dream team. So there's me, there's Troy, who are going to be offering like content on meditation, mindfulness, awareness of breath, neuroplasticity. We're going to be doing some visualization, goal setting, habit forming type stuff. We're also going to have a, a free diver on board. Um, this is the guy that trained me up, and we're actually going to be learning about breath techniques, how to basically stay underwater for longer. We're going like the free diving thing is, is is an amazing access to amazing ramp onto into flow states. Mm-hmm. There's nothing I've done that creates a more meditative mindset in my whole life than free diving. So there's going to be that element, and then there's going to be a whole lot of surfing. So it's it's kind of like I, I personally I can't think of a more amazing trip. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got... I mean, like I have no, I'm not surprised at all why you guys are so doing so well. And as soon as I found out about Full State Adventure, I literally told everyone I knew. I was like, "This is amazing," and I mean, I could promise you this, man. Within the next year, I'm definitely going to be going on one of these retreats. Yeah, man, that's going to be awesome, and we're going to be doing 2016. We're going to be doing things like closer to the American market. We might do a, a snowboard trip in either Colorado or, or Canada, cool. which would be like, you know, like February 2016. Mm-hmm. And then we're actually thinking about running a, a surf trip in Peru, which is going to be a blend of, I guess, shamanic ceremonial work and journeying, but also mm-hmm. a surf adventure as well. Wow, that's cool. Um, and that's going to be like... A completely unique idea like i don't think there's anybody else doing something like this and it's it's going to be very very niche like yeah. and there's not going to be very many people are into this sort of thing but it's awesome we if there are people out there who who love surfing and love the ocean but also feel this calling to expand their consciousness through shamanic plant medicines then then man this is this is the trick for you guys yeah. um 
so yeah it'd be cool to have you along man yeah that'd be i'm really excited that sounds absolutely amazing so let's let's wrap it up here we've been talking for a long time and it's it's been great uh it's time to well we've really been giving listeners value this whole conversation but basically uh, th- this is a point where we, we give them some specific knowledge to walk away with. What are three must-use resources that have aided you in creating the life of your dreams in the last five years? Okay, cool. So, yeah, I had a little think about this question. I think one of the resources I guess I'll, I'll talk about is like an, an inner resource. And I'll call this resilience or bounce-back ability. Like. Hmm. You know, I've had I've had quite a, I've had quite a lot of good fortune in, in in my time. Like, there's been there's been times where you know the the stars have just aligned and things have just worked out and life has flowed. There's also been times where shit has just gone terribly and like things have just gone wrong and situations have have, have gone badly. But I quickly developed the capacity to basically pounce on the opportunities when thing when things were going well when things were like red hot i pounced on the i i sort of compounded them with with taking massive action at that time like if the, if there was a window of opportunity i would like go hard right mm. and that's a solid piece of advice i think for anybody doing anything like cool. if if you see a window of opportunity if whatever it may be then maximize it go mm. hard on the on the flip side if you're going through a tough time then also maximize that experience. Like, because I tell you what, like nothing has, and you'll, and you'll speak to all sorts of successful people from any field, and what they'll tell you is the same, that the biggest lessons that they've learned in life have come from the tough times yeah. and the setbacks and the failures. And I guess I quickly learned how to turn perceived negative stuff, like, like failure, I guess, um, into like something that I cherished. And something that became like awesome, like almost to the point where I'm like, I, I welcome it, yeah. right? And it becomes such a powerful chance to learn. So that's so that's one resource. Just just know within yourself that maximize the good times, but roll with the punches in the bad times, and know that something amazing is going to come from it. Um, you might not know what it is now, but it will come. Secondly, I'll talk about a resource would be like curiosity. And the curiosity to use the tools out there, like for me, it was books. For people like you, Ryan, and I'm sure it's books as well, but mm-hmm. we've got like the internet is just like, if we use it the right way, is just like infinite knowledge. Yeah. If you've got the right, if you've got curiosity and you've got discipline, then you can use the internet as like the most powerful tool in the world to expand your horizons, to create dreams and goals and to and to create the next steps to walk towards them. Hmm. So I would ch- encourage people to, yeah, to, to, to think about books, uh, the right sort of books to read. I've read a lot of books on training the brain, so neuroplasticity. I've read a lot of books on you know, Eastern philosophy, meditation, um, Buddhism. You know, if anybody's really interested in flow, then read the book Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, um, and also read the book Rise of Superman by Stephen Kotler. What are the three biggest books in terms of like the impact that they've had on your life? Yeah, good question. So there's a book called it's a it's a Taoist book by I think it's called I think it's by Lao Tzu, but or it might be 
by another guy. La- it might be by Lao Tse. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's, it's a book called the Tao Te, Tao Te Ching. Um, so that's like T-A-O and T-E, then C-H-I-N-G, Tao Te Ching. And this is like uh, like the, the book on Taoism. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anybody's got a real interest in the, this, the philosophy of flowing with life, then have a read of this book. I would say that, yeah, it's hard for me to really pick out books, but anything by The Miracle of Mindfulness is another one. That's a, that's a book written by a Vietnamese uh, Zen monk called um, Thich Nhat Hanh, and he's, he writes beautifully, poetically. Another book that made a profound impact on me, I know that you've also started reading it, is, is The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. Mm-hmm. It's mind-blowing stuff. It can be challenging to read, and it's very can be con- confronting because it make, it forces you to look at your your paradigms of thought in a whole new way. But uh, that can be a mind-blowing book for people to read, hmm. um, and that can really open up the doors of perception. Great, great recommendation. So we're on your third resource. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to do another another powerful one, and this is cultivating the right sort of people around you, like taking a very active approach to the other humans that are a part of your life. Wow. So, you know, when you go through, when you go through school, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, you have no choice about who's around you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but as you start to mature and, you know, you start leveraging other networking tools, th- there is a choice. Like, you don't have to hang around with, with people that you don't vibe with. You don't have to hang around with somebody that... That, that brings you down or, or someone that you're not just on the same frequency with. So like taking a super active approach to cultivating the right sort of people around you has been like a, such a powerful step in my life. And I just, I, I generally surround myself with people that inspire me and people that are passionate about the stuff that they do. And, you know, the, the effect is obvious, right? Mm-hmm. I, I, I meet up with these sorts of people and I come away with inspiration and, yeah. and, and I'm fired up. Absolutely. Um, so it's a no brainer. Definitely. And that's something that I've applied in the last year of my life. And it seriously, it creates massive change. It's amazing. If you could give one piece of advice to an entrepreneur at the beginning of their journey, what would it be? My piece of advice would have to be before you step out, before you, before you set out on your journey, make sure that you spend a solid amount of time doing some contemplation and inner reflection really develop the solid foundation of self-awareness because if you don't know who you are if you don't know what you're passionate about if you don't know what your purpose is if you don't know what your positive traits are your negative traits your behavioral patterns your emotional patterns if you don't know all this stuff then it's like trying to you know you're like building a house of cards or you're mm-hmm. or you're building a house on sand you've got you haven't got the solid foundation that will last you the time that you need for this business to flourish. And some point down the line, it might be two years, it might be 10 years, you'll realize that the business might not be aligned with who you actually are. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it all comes crashing down. On the other hand, if you've done that solid work and the business is therefore like this natural, it's like like a plant that is growing from the the authentic soil of who you actually are. If the business is like that, then man, that's gonna, it's gonna flourish forever. Mm-hmm. It's gonna constantly be, be, uh, be, be nourished by, by your passion and by your energy. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's my one tip. Wow, that was great, man. Hey, 
this this episode was really full of a lot of great insights and ideas, and I appreciate you for coming on, brother. No worries, Ryan. It's been my pleasure. Today, I want to talk to you about a mindset that if you embody this mentality, it'll favor you for the rest of your life. The funny thing about this mindset is that it's commonly practiced by people who want to get a regular job, but the people who want to do something extraordinary at first, when they feel that initial fear, this is the reason why they give up. It's because if you're a kid and you've wanted to be a police officer for your entire life, like your entire your entire childhood, people ask you, what are you gonna be when you grow up? You say, oh, I'm gonna be a police officer. But if you want to be something extraordinary, something that is out of the ordinary, there's this hesitation and doubt associated with it because we're trained to think on, on a smaller level. We're not conditioned to think grandiose. But I want to share this quote with you by Steve Jobs that has really changed my perspective on things. And then I will share with you this mindset. The quote goes, when you grow up, you tend to get told the world is the way it is and your life is to live your life inside of the world. Try not to bash into the walls too much. Try to have a nice family life, have fun, save a little bit of money. That's a very limited life. Life can be much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is everything around you that you call life was made up by people that were no smarter than you. And you can change it, you can influence it, you can build your own things that other people can use. And the moment that you understand that you can poke life, and actually something will, you know, if you push in, something will pop out the other side, that you can change it, you can mold it. That's maybe the most important thing. It's to shake off this erroneous notion that life is there and you're just gonna live in it versus embrace it, change it, improve it, make your mark upon it. I think that's very important and however you learn that, once you learn it, you'll want to change life and make it better because it's kind of messed up in a lot of ways. Once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. It's not only the fact of understanding that you have the ability to change this reality that we live in on a massive scale, because people have done it before, right? But it's having that same mentality as a kid who wants to be a police officer and saying, what are you gonna be when you grow up? I'm gonna be great. I'm gonna be something extraordinary. I'm gonna change the world, whatever it is. You have to be certain. You have to be confident in knowing that you are great and that you deserve a life of abundance. So if you haven't made that decision yet, make the decision now. Your future holds nothing but greatness.